Hello, hello, hello. It is time for our chatty episode of the month. This month was a little bit different, but as usual, it was our show that we put out for our Voices Radio slot. So this time it was just me to start off with, and then, as you'll hear later, Stu, my partner, joined us for a little chat in the garden. It was really nice to be outside actually and recording. The other reason why I wanted to jump on here before we get started is to announce that we are now supported by the Royal Society of Musicians who say since 1738 we've been providing vital financial assistance, advice and guidance to music professionals unable to work due to accident, illness, stress or anxiety. Whether you're working as a performer, administrator, technician or teacher and everything in between, we're here to help. So if you know someone that's in need of any kind of assistance or help, you can contact them by visiting their website, which is www.rsmgb.org, or you can contact them via the telephone on 020-7629-6137. We are really just overjoyed to be working with them and being supported by them as, you know, their mission and what they do is really just so in line with what we are advocating for um so yeah watch this space for more exciting collabs in the future for now though let's get on with the podcast hello and welcome to things musicians don't talk about with your hosts hattie butterworth and me rebecca toll Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of the musicians is lost and restricted. Having both dealt in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. The personal issues we may face with our mental health, performance injury, work pressure and finances can be overlooked as the airbrushed persona of musicians is sadly maintained. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. doing and um, welcome to things musicians don't talk about this is our first radio show slash chatty episode for the main feed um after passing our trial period with voices radio so very exciting that this will be our regular slot for the foreseeable future this is the i think it's the second monday of every month four till five p.m um So it's just going to be a solo episode from me today. Uh, I've hijacked Hattie's portable microphones to, yeah, kind of experiment with. I'm planning on just kind of taking them on my journeys this week, um, doing some nice walks, getting my thoughts out there, um, maybe, yeah, accosting Stuart for some of his thoughts as well about life. Um... So yeah, I'm currently in bed. I'm, yeah, I've been putting off recording this episode because I feel like I never really know what to talk about. And the more the podcast goes on, the more I feel like I should be very professional and have these kind of in-depth insights and like, yeah, know exactly which direction to take things in. I mean, the main reason for me doing this solo one is because Hattie is just so, so busy at the moment. And sometimes we do it with the Patreon episodes where one of us will just take take that task for the month. And I was very quick to suggest, I mean, this is, yeah, typical Rebecca Toll fashion in that I'm, yeah, very quick to say, oh, don't worry, I'll, t- I'll do that, you know, don't worry about it. And then... I then end up stressing because I've taken on too much or I've taken on a job that I don't actually know what I'm going to do with it and I feel like I have to do the job almost doubly good (laughs) because I've taken it from someone else as well. So first off I thought maybe I'd go through some, yeah I did like a Q&A thing on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago maybe and 
I wasn't really expecting people to have so many amazing questions. Not because I don't, not because I don't believe in people, just because I was like, you know, well, why would they spend their effort? Like, you know, why, why are they going to ask me a question? I'm just another Instagram friend. But yeah, it actually was really thought provoking and it stayed with me. So it felt like quite a gift these people gave me their questions. The first thing that got me thinking was our good friend Robin. She asked, which slightly feels quite quite vain of me to read this out, but it said, how come your soul shines out of your face like a beautiful beam? Soul care routine, please. And I read it and I was instantly like, soul care? Like, I love that as a term. I was a bit like, maybe that's just me being really cheesy and like very hashtag wellness. But the more I thought about it, the more I really realised that it is incredibly important to do things that nourish your soul. And I think for me, I never really know what that looks like because I'm not a spiritual person necessarily. I'm not religious. Through my volunteer work on Shout and my counselling studies, I've seen this self-care wheel that they have and one of the segments of the wheel I think is spiritual self-care and I never know what to put because I always feel that whatever I put feels kind of I don't know like a you know a square in a circular hole I'm trying to put something in there just for the sake of filling in the box but I'm not really sure what spiritual self-care looks like to me um so I think I preferred the term soul care because it, I don't feel so much like a fraud when I talk about soul care, because everyone has a soul, you know, whatever that looks like. So my answers I gave for my soul care routine included, yeah, volunteering for Shout, the crisis line. Um, I said getting out in the sunshine, whether jogging or gardening or walking instead of busing, <laughs> taking the bus that is, um, connecting with people that value me for whoever I am that day and definitely for not what I look like, spending time with my beautifully crazy cats, being absolutely ridiculous with stew, trying to read hopeful books, in capital letters I put therapy, uh, I said spaghetti hoops and wearing clothes that fit me even if they're the biggest size I've ever owned. Yeah there are lots of things I'm sure I could add to that list but it's really hard to identify things that make you feel more authentic when it comes down to things that you're actively doing in your life. I found that I can I can think of people that make me feel like myself. I can, um, I don't know, I think of like big things like pursuing a career in music and counselling. But when it comes to kind of actual conscious activities I did find it quite hard to put a list together it was interesting thinking about things that I do for myself and for my soul but also I I feel like part of the things that we do for ourselves I don't know whether this is just me but there's an aspect of I want to be a good person whatever that means and I don't know, like, what is a good person? Like, is is it what other people think of you influences your definition of being a good person? And even in that, you know, you can never know what other people are thinking. So is it what you think other people think of you defines what you think being a good person is? So, like, for me, like, volunteering and all these kind of things, yes, I've always grown up with people saying being a volunteer or volunteering is a good thing and I know that I get good responses when I tell people that I volunteer and I do love doing it but I think primarily a lot of these things come from a place of oh what what would make me look good and it feels really shameful to say and I don't know whether it comes from a place of not really knowing what is good or maybe a place of there's infinite amount of good you can do in the world so where do you start yeah I don't really know where I was going with that but it was an interesting thing of like you do what makes your soul feel good but how do you know what being a good person is because I think so much of my soul care is related to being a good person um the next thing that somebody asked me was oh yeah it was 
well, I, I originally posted the Q&A box because I'd been, uh, I, I think I said I, I was going to be doing some laptop stuff all day and I needed some some company or some motivation or whatever. So somebody asked, any tips for getting through laptop stuff? Keeping up with emails particularly is my weak spot. Keeping up with emails is also my weak spot. I've definitely gotten better since quitting some of my teaching. But in trying to assert more boundaries and place less importance on getting back to people immediately or this idea of being professional when actually as a musician that doesn't necessarily fit like the etiquette of being professional in the business world for example so in trying to be a bit more true to my lifestyle and how my energy is and everything I've gotten much worse at replying to emails and doing laptop stuff in general but also because so much of my well as a as a musician you know you do a lot of admin a lot of emails a lot of website stuff a lot of booking things that is laptop based and particularly I don't know how many um, people listening are musicians and who also use iPads to read music off I can spend all day on a screen And then we're doing podcast stuff on top of that and counselling homework and shout volunteering. I can end up on a laptop all day and still not really feel like I've actually replied to anything. So I've been trying to be a bit more um, disciplined with working hours. I mean, having said that, it's half past nine. I'm on my laptop recording this. Um, But my tips, I said, yeah, replying to your emails in your own time and on our podcast account we've put a little signature saying we won't be replying in usual working hours or expected replying time and we don't expect other people to do the same and it feels kind of when we put it on I felt quite rude or quite I don't know like I was imagining people receiving that email signature and feeling like affronted by it or something but the more time goes on, the more I think, actually, it's better to say these things or to assert those boundaries than just not reply. Or, like, if you set expectations, then I think other people might follow or at least they'll know what's going on. The second of the three questions that I'm going to go through. Hattie actually asked, do you ever miss your eating disorder? Yeah, this is a tricky one. I mean, again, it feels kind of shameful to say yes, because, you know, I so clearly advocate so strongly against dieting and being aesthetics focused and all these things. But I think like with any period of trauma or mental illness when you were in it it was so hard to leave it because whatever was holding you there was like a comfort and when you look back you still or at least I still feel an essence of that kind of abusive relationship with my own brain but it was so comforting and it felt so safe even though I was so isolated and Yes, there there are lots and lots of days that I feel totally liberated and so proud of myself for getting to this point. But there is there are also days where, you know, I'm struggle to look in the mirror. I still kind of prod and poke at my body, and I, you know, I'm constantly selling or recycling clothes that no longer fit. Um, you know, my wardrobe sizing is the biggest it's ever been all these kind of things especially in the society that we you know it's still the same even no matter how much work you put in society often stays the same so yes there's a lot of good stuff on social media but there is still a pressure to be a smaller size you know thinner or leaner or more toned or whatever and the number system of the clothes sizing or the weighing or whatever numbers, you know, that feeling of always aiming for a lower number has still really stayed with me. No matter how much I try to not 
absorb that and not not feel that it's still quite a big reflex in me I mean having said this uh it's also impossible to ignore the memories and the feelings of just how awful life was when I was in the midst of my eating disorder and I could never I could never go back to that it's again talking about reflexes like I have so many kind of self-protective reflexes that stop me dieting or exercising too hard. It's almost like my body has a memory of this awful time and will not let me do any of those behaviours or carry out any behaviours from the thoughts. It's, yeah, the trauma has stayed with my body and my brain and there's absolutely no way that I could go so far backwards to get to that place again um and the third question that I'm gonna cover I mean I could say how are your cats somebody asked how are your cats which is obviously very important but this one is any tips on how to practice for a recital want to be structured but it's a bit panicked at the moment haha <laughs> we love a haha at the end of a question to make it nice and light after a, a very deep thought yeah, and I was very honest when I answered this that I was, and I'm still not very good at practicing, especially for recitals, I think. I know I'm not a soloist, and so then practicing for a recital, I, I have an element of fear in my practice and avoidance. So I'm definitely no expert. Here are some things that helped me during my master, well, I was going to say during my master's recital preparation but that was in COVID and I definitely didn't practice enough so here are some just general practice tips I think and um, so just doing different and varied types of practice like stamina practice speed practice slow tuning articulation score study mental practice etc um taking lots of breaks and trying not to do hours and hours back to back making sure I've nourished myself as a human being first and foremost like hydration sunlight sleep social energy etc um, playing other things to keep me from getting stale like there's loads of amazing like backing tracks on YouTube that you can play along to and rewarding myself for doing any amount of practice um, some of these are slightly idealistic I'm never in a place where I'm managing to do all of those great practice tips all the time practice is so hard and definitely a lot of people I've talked to were never taught how to practice and I don't necessarily think that's a f the fault of a teacher in that they should teach you how to practice your instrument and your pieces. Like, everyone is so individual. But I do think there should be more of a narrative of, okay, there isn't just one way to practice. And actually, if you do need to warm up and have your favourite TV show on just to encourage you to get your instrument out of the case. Like, there's so many times where... I'm kind of passively watching a TV series around the house and then I'm like, okay, no, the next episode I'm going to put on the stand and do some practice and that's the only thing that gets me into the practice room and then maybe I won't do much more practice than, you know, 10 minutes or one episode or whatever, but at least I got there. But yeah, this idea that I, I remember I went to have some trumpet lessons in Sweden when I was in sixth form and the teacher, I, I had a really bad time with the teacher. Um, they were very demanding and dismissive of my playing and gave off the impression that, you know, why was I bothering to come all the way? Because I wasn't going to be a soloist, so what's the point in, you know, having these lessons? But they had a very prescriptive way of you must do one hour of these Clark exercises and then you must have an hour of stamp exercises for all these trumpet players non-trumpet players out there these are all um trumpet technique books and methods and trumpet players and stuff um but yeah it was like this you know this practice timetable is the path to success and if you're not doing it then you're not going to make it and yeah, there there was a sense of, I, it was almost like they would laugh at me for not doing it, because they were like, you know, well, it's so easy, you've just got to do this, and then you'll be on the path to 
success. So why, you know, why are you not doing it? I don't understand why you're not doing these six hours of technical studies every day. Um, I mean, at the time, you know, I was still at school, even if I'd have wanted to, which I didn't, I couldn't have fitted in six hours of practice in the day. Anyway, that was one of the first times that I'd had the idea of this is one way to practice and this is the only way. So I think there is no one way in the same way that especially now there's so much more research on neurodivergence and how different people learn. I mean, surely it's a given that there are different ways that people practice and learn musical instruments as well. It's just seems so ridiculous to me that you could say, okay, this, this, and this book, um, practice them for this amount of time and you'll be great. Anyway, so, um, I'm going to end this chat here. I'm going to maybe go on a little walk tomorrow, chat to some people. Um, yeah, little casual slash real episode on Hattie's amazing clip-on mics. So bye-bye for now and see you in a little bit. So after this little spiel, I went to Reading with my partner Stuart to do some dog sitting and house sitting and it felt like the perfect opportunity to talk with him in the lovely garden outdoors, hence some of the background noise. So yeah, we had a lovely little catch up over a cup of coffee in the garden with the dogs and yeah, so here it is. Hope you enjoy. I've just woken Stu up very rudely from a nap and forced him to come talk with me in the garden. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're dog sitting and um, these dogs are trying to jump on us and join in. Freebie, get, get down. Get off freebie. Um, um, yeah, for, uh, hello again. Um, yeah, for context, uh, there's four dogs. Yeah. Um, there's Freebie, Jenny, Matty and Morag. And they're my parents' dogs. They're good dogs, most of the time. They're, they're well-intentioned dogs. Yeah, it's all about the intention behind the dog. But... Yeah. So I thought it'd be nice to chat just to you because we... The last time we spoke to you was, like, on the podcast, that is. I mean, I speak to you all the time. This is my partner, by the way, Stuart. Hello. I <laughs> um, can't remember when the last time was. Like, two years ago, maybe? Um... I think it was a little bit more recent than that. Okay. You haven't been doing the podcast for two years. Yes, I have. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, you're a tuba player. True or false? <laughs> True. Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a while since we chatted on the pod, and therefore a lot has happened in your tuba life and your, and your other life. Um, My not other life. Not that they're different lives. <laughs> they're very interesting. Sounds like I've got five families. Yeah, <laughs> your other family. Um, so you recently-ish had an audition. And I'd be interested to hear, like, how you found getting your mojo back after an audition. Because I find it so hard to get back to practice. It's been a little while for you now. Yeah, um, so here's a secret I've been thinking about this question mm. since I woke up from my nap because I had what, one of those minutes ago? yeah like one of those post-nap epiphanies oh yeah um where something like kind of clicks in your brain and linking auditions and this very like goal-orientated mindset that I think a lot of musicians have like who've been to music college like, everything's working towards an exam um and then post-music college, you're auditioning and stuff like that. And then that works both ways as the kind of the pre-music college, the grade cycle of mm. music education in which I was very much wrapped up in when I was learning tuba and piano and theory where... The violin. Oh, well, yes. Um, <laughs> least, <laughs> less said about that, the better. We're always looking towards that next... Mm. goal to attain to try out for and mm. I think the the one benefit of playing the tuba is that especially in the UK you don't have that 
audition mindset that there's constantly jobs to be auditioning for. Like the the last tube audition in the UK was for the LSO back in 2016, I think, which is a long time ago. And I think the last time I saw, not I saw you, <laughs> last time I spoke on the pod, I was preparing for an audition in Cologne. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's all coming back to it me now. It is coming back to me as well. Um, and I think I replaced the sensation after that audition and it not being successful mm-hmm. with the next goal of I could see right around the corner this yeah these other couple of auditions actually in the UK that can focus my energies on and that was kind of what got me out of my I slump maybe the wrong word for it but like before you got into a slump I guess yeah um whereas now it feels there's not less to look forward to, but I have to think about different things. Make your own stuff to look forward to. Yeah, a bit, but I I think I want to try and move... Sorry, um, <laughs> Jenny is trying to pull a really big stick out of the bonfire. Um, not lit, um, I can assure everybody. Um, and She's basically dismantling the bonfire. Yes, piece by piece. Um, I've always been like goal orientated whether that's being like an audition or a paycheck or xyz as having the date in the diary to prep for yeah has been always the thing that's kind of i thought is the thing that's gotten me out of the slump but actually it's the thing that's done the most work is always finding that thing that i enjoy doing spending time with me yeah, and oh, like... I was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like finding the things in your playing that are a bit more enjoyable to do and when practice can feel mundane, mm. that's, that's really hard to do. So I haven't figured it out yet. Don't mm. worry. Like, don't... <laughs> no please, answers here. Yeah, please, nobody listening think I'm... You sorted it. I've sorted it out and, and giving advice. Because You're still a hot mess. Oh, yes, baby. Um, <laughs> just like, just trying to take it like one day, one week at a time. And That's sometimes it works, do. sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Um, but yeah. And then like in terms of, because you're doing quite a lot of different types of playing at the moment. I don't know if you'd be happy to go into the different types of playing that you're doing, but I find it can be quite hard to change hats. A yeah. Bit. How are you managing to like, those oh, um, compared to you, mm. talking to Rebecca, um, um, it doesn't feel so much as changing hats so much because it's all the different kind of different things I'm doing. I f- they all fall under the category of tuba for me. Where I, whereas I look at your day to day and everything is so like different like going from trumpet to counseling even to teaching like i don't really teach for personal disclosure like i i found it very stressful because i that was probably one thing i was always felt most imposterish about mm. like how can i distill this information when i don't think i've figured it out yeah, either, and I'm kind of blindly. Welcome to teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I blindly, 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 uh, blindly following my own path through the woods that like mm-hmm. I can't can't necessarily put into words. Um, I think it's also because I think I don't practice very well. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that makes. I mean, I think you practice much better than I do, but I don't think. For me, like, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we had a near coffee catastrophe. <laughs> With the dog. Um, yeah, I was going to be like, I don't think your, t- like, your practice should stop you from teaching. But also, it's not you don't want to teach. So it's not like, mm. I don't want to be like, you should teach. It's just you're making excuses. Like, if you don't want to teach, like, that is a powerful enough statement in itself. Mm. But um, going back to the hats thing, I think because... 
I'm, I'm running the same internal program of I turn up to work and there's something different to play. Mm. And yeah, I might play it slightly differently depending on what orchestra I'm in or like whether it's chamber music, whether it's being recorded or not. It's what about like umpa music to then like really pearly stuff? Um, That's a huge difference. I think it's also like, it's also about finding what you find fun about like mm. different kind of music. It's like doing kind of pop covers. Like, I love like big 80s, 90s bangers. They are, you and, in a nutshell. Yeah, and I don't think that'll ever change. Mm. So there's that core enjoyment of that music comes from somewhere different to the reason why I really love Brahms. Do you love Brahms? I, I quite like Brahms. I, I, Never heard you talk about him before. <laughs> okay, maybe I replace Brahms with... Um, Stockhausen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something that seems a little bit more on brand. Yeah. Those kind of core, like, that core love for those different kind of musics, mm. they aren't mutually exclusive. And they can, or they can be. It's, music is something so deep and powerful for so many people oh (laughs) (laughs) um i'm interested in what you find to be the hardest thing about being a musician is right now what's the hardest thing about being a musician at the moment for you oh for me yeah um i think for me it's this being in a freelance world and not quite knowing exactly where where the money is going to come in from mm. down the line yeah i especially having come from like quite a a quiet period where it's like lots of prep work and mm. lots of doing lots of things looking forward to commitments it's always hard on those days to feel like oh you're still doing your job mm. you're not sat at home on that day playing playstation or yeah like doing the things that make you you because you can't do them on the other days when you're at work Mm. because of traveling and xyz i think it's even more in our faces now that we live with two non-musicians yeah (laughs) i feel like you know my brother goes to work in the morning and then i'm at home like i feel like i just i'm not working and i forget to take into account that work looks different work looks different and also like the days that i am working the hours are usually massive like being out all day or like going to Huddersfield like we did last week Mm. or all these kind of things just because on one day you're not at work doesn't mean that you're no longer a musician yeah so when we last chatted um we lived with two fantastic musicians um one that's fantastic no I'm joking Piotr was great (laughs) (laughs) um I Two of the most lovely musicians yeah. that like, we've both had the pleasure of living with. Like, yeah. We both now have jobs in Copenhagen. Shout out to Julian Piotr. Ledge. Um, Ledges. And like, that was as well during like pandemic as well, where I wouldn't be lying when saying like there's definitely feelings of like claustrophobia mm. and like wanting to didn't feel like I was doing enough practice in comparison. Yeah, and this hyper intense, but hyper anxious space. Whereas now it's, we're living with, yeah, two non-musicians, your brother Mm. and his partner, and they both have different schedules to each other as well. Mm. So we're kind of back to having like a real milieu. Milieu? How would you say that word? You mean a melange? No, I don't mean a melange. Milieu. Milieu. We'll go with that. I don't know. All the French people out there don't at me. I don't think we have any French listeners. This is when we get all the letters in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, Jenny. Oh. Oh, Jenny. Do you want to be on the podcast? I can probably smell her breath from there. I'm trying to think what... what so we're co- talking about living with Alex in particular. 
tell oh, you yeah. what, what the question was. Yeah. It was like, what was the hardest thing about being a musician for you right now? Oh, but we kind of like subtly yeah. moved on from there. Well, then I was going to ask, like, what's the easiest thing for you about being a musician right now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is like, I couldn't think of an answer for myself. So I was like, well, I'll ask you and he'll yeah. definitely have an answer. What, what's the easiest thing or the best yeah. thing? either. Um, I guess you could argue that just because it's the best thing doesn't mean it's easy. No, that's true. Um, what's the easiest thing about being a musician? Oh, again, I don't want it to sound really like up myself, but. I think the easiest thing is like playing the tuba. <laughs> famously, you said that. famously, the Imagine. easiest instrument. Um, now, I think the easiest thing is like knowing that I love it. Oh, um, what a wholesome answer! Yeah, and and no, I think about I think about this quite a lot, and especially now that like back living with non musicians as mm. well, and like thinking about people who work nine to five in office jobs and I always sense there's a varying degree of people who really love their jobs versus people who are fine with them and want the paycheck and it allows them enjoyment in the rest of their life. What about people that hate their jobs? I've, I've got to represent them as well. I feel like those people come and I was trying to say that in a nice way. It's okay to hate your job. Yeah. But yeah, I think the easiest thing is like knowing that I, I do love it. And mm. even in those moments of like low motivation, um, I know that it will come back and mm. the, the love never dies. That's Phantom of the Opera, isn't Number it? Number two, yeah. yeah. Bloody hell. That was a disappointing end to that answer. <laughs> Can we cut that on out? I'm going to keep it in. No! <laughs> no! Um, oh, talking of things you might... Can I just rewind? No. Please, please, no. Talking oh, of things you might so... want to cut out. Um, let's talk about being a musician couple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How is it? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming to our show. Like, this has been... <laughs> um, Long silence. <laughs> we can cut the silence shorter. <laughs> um, for context, I was silent for five minutes there. Yeah, um, it was half an hour and we just looked into each other's <laughs> eyes and went, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not without its challenges, I think. And it's it's very easy to feel like because like we both work as freelancers what careful of the stinging nettle it's not a stinging nettle yeah it is just got stung by it oh did you yeah oh are you okay yeah just be careful babe oh, she's babe and that's why we're in a couple um always looking out for each other <laughs> from the stinging nettles that you tell me aren't stinging nettles <laughs> yeah hashtag gaslighting <laughs> um <laughs> okay. Glad you got Moving that on tape. Moving on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's easy to, as we both work freelance, and like presenting of opportunities, it's not really in our control. Mm -mm. There is a lot of chance, luck, randomness, randomness baked into the pie of life. Into the pie of. You've still got to be good, like. As a musician or as a girlfriend? <laughs> as a musician. Um, so when it's like being supportive of mm. opportunities that, yeah, maybe there's like a part of me or a part of you that's like, oh, like, I wish I could be doing something like that. Mm. I think there's that direct link to knowing how good that opportunity is mm. or like, like knowing the people that are going to be on it like it's all the same work circles and social circles yeah and feeling like you're not missing out by not being called mm. yeah i think i i can feel a little bit guilty sometimes like if i get asked to do some work mm. that i know would like interest you mm. and like we haven't really done much work together at all no it's really bizarre like 
I know the music world is very small, but we still have done maybe two gigs together, apart from quintet and stuff. Yeah, but even then, like, yeah, maybe four in total. Not a huge amount, and it's interesting, isn't it? Like, because it's kind of you feel like you can directly compare yourself to somebody because you know their day to day, and like, I don't know. I often find when comparing myself to others that aren't you that I'm like, well, you know, I don't know what else they've been up to, like this. I can almost mm. justify like, oh, they've got this amazing gig, but maybe this is their first thing in six months or whatever. Like, I just don't know the backstory. Whereas we With know us, each other's like, know like, whole diary. Yeah, and like where, like how you got the gig and that you've done this gig before or like blah, blah, blah. So it can be really difficult not to get a bit jealous, mm. I think. Or a bit sad when things aren't, like when one of us is busy and the other one isn't and vice versa. Yeah. I think I, for me, it's also like if I'm feeling a bit complainy mm. or something, it's hard to not feel like that feeling of, well, at least you've got that. At least you're going to work that day or... Yeah, Becca's got nothing ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, though. And often, you know, we might go a few weeks where we're kind of, what's it, passing ships in the night. Ship passing in the night, yeah. Or passing ships, could be an adjective. <laughs> um, yeah, you're just stood still in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> no, I meant like the ships are passing, like passing ships. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, like we might not actually have any quality time together because our schedules have been so random. Or like, you know, we're thinking about booking a holiday, but I think both of us are a little bit worried about, well, what if work comes in? And if work comes in for one of us, then does that mm. mean the holiday's cancelled? Or like... I think we're probably going to get added by a lot of people just being like, just book the time off. I know. Just and book that, the time off. This is what people say all the time. And like, I've had this conversation with so many people, but I think especially when I've only got like nine pounds on my account or something, I'm like, yes, but I've got to take the work, you know. Like, I still feel very uh, dependent on taking any work that comes my way. Yeah. It's like, it's that having a holiday on the horizon that never comes. But, like, we are in a place where, you know, we don't have kids, for instance. Like, mm. that is... Imagine if we booked a holiday with kids and then we're like, sorry, kids, they've got to go and play in some town somewhere. Second trump, they're going to be like, that's not even worth the money. <laughs> or, I don't know, would it be worse if one of us wasn't a musician and the other one kept kind of having to pull out of holidays because they got work? Uh, I, think, I think that probably would be maybe worse. <laughs> What have you been listening to? On my Spotify. Um, on your podcasts. <laughs> on my podcasts. Well, I've been listening to um, Life of Bi's recent episode on asexuality. Been very interesting. I hadn't realised how much of a spectrum of a like I just always assumed that asexuality was like you just don't you just don't want sex or don't have sex. Mm. But it's such a spectrum. Like some people are asexual but still have sex. There's like a spectrum of like you're repulsed to sex versus indifferent to sex and sex favourable. There's a whole thing and like... I really want to listen to this and like this might be like my naive brain or my ignorance but like I, I've come across people using the term like grey sexual. Yeah. Is that, that's part of asexuality. spectrum and so is demisexual and they're different things apparently but I'm not quite sure what the difference is between grey sexual and demisexual. Um, so I've been listening to that. I've recently um, written an article about opera podcasts, Ooh. having not listened to any podcasts about opera ever. And there was one that I found uh, called Every Voice with Terence McKnight, which was just amazing. Like really talking about like the nitty gritty problematic stuff to do with opera and like so well produced like made me really be like whoa this must have taken months to make just one episode like especially <laughs> compared to our episodes where it's just talking and then you know the intro and outro like this is really like a piece of art every uh, episode in in terms of production values like how, what would you list as like the core differences well there's like clips of music all the way throughout and then there's like different interviews with different people and like I don't know like an overarching arching overarching narrative and like the episode is only like 20 minutes long 
but it feels like you learn so much in 20 minutes. There is absolutely no waffle. Just like high concentrated oh my God, information. It's, it's amazing. Like would totally recommend that. I also came across a very bizarre podcast um, called Unnatural Acts of Opera, which I am obsessed with. Like it's from 2000 and oh, the podcast app is saying 19. Oh no, that's not. That's 1962 as a recording. I didn't think they had podcasts then. 2000 and like. I think it started but it's like a byproduct of this underground queer magazine that started to be distributed in the Met Opera like gentlemen's toilets because um, that was like you know where there's lots of gay men at the opera and like the Met Opera were really not happy with this obviously so like booted this um, journalist out that was creating the magazine and then he went on and like created this podcast as a drag persona so it's basically just like huge long recordings of like entire acts of opera but like bookended with like hilarious just like drag persona like monologues yes like and a lot of it is just about like bitching about the opera world and like the gossip of of the day but it's just so fun. I'm just sat there like, <laughs> I wish that I was listening to this in 2005. I mean, I wouldn't have understood like anything. Um, what are you listening to at the moment? Oh, I have started listening to My Dad Wrote a Porno. Um, Recommended by me. Oh, fantastic. And I've absolutely boshed through it. You're treating it as a to-do. Oh, I've yeah. never seen you so like quote unquote productive. <laughs> Taking those episodes off the list. Just like, I don't think I've listened to something quite as absurd. Yeah. And it just tickles me pink every time. It makes me so happy that like, it's quite, not an old, old podcast, but like, you know. It's finished now. It's finished. It's... Like, it was a big thing a while ago. And it makes me so happy that people are still discovering it and getting so much joy out mm. of it. I mean, maybe not joy, maybe like confusion. Mm. But... <laughs> Bewilderment. Bewilderment, hilarity. Um, so good. Yeah, I've never seen you like cringe so hard whilst driving a car. It's it's dangerous. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I've been. What Tuba I've, videos. Uh, pardon? Tuba videos. Oh no, don't. You did a the truth about quarter tones video. You didn't do it. Sorry, you were listening to it. I was listening to I it. I can imagine you having a YouTube channel about like the truth about tuba phonics. <laughs> oh no. The truth the, about snug. The, the fact that you think that that is something that fits my like mo as an artist. Not very, as an artist. Very worrying. Not as an artist, <laughs> as a person. Yeah, it was. It was a interesting video about quarter tonal harmony. Like it really. I feel like it combined your love of maths and music. Yeah, I think so. And that's um, why I won't be watching it. <laughs> well, I, can I just quickly go back and get my phone? Well, why don't we walk over there together? Yeah. And whilst, like, before we get there, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> your knees and your fart. Oh, no. Um, what are you looking forward to in the next few weeks? Oh, we could do a win of the week. Oh, win of the week. Win of the week. Um, I think win of the week is just being in Reading, like... Um, and dog sitting and like... What's winningful about it? It's just like that feeling of managing like to get away a bit. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm still practicing and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't feel like it's a holiday. Yeah. But it's nice to have a bit more open space and like... Cups of tea. Yeah, lots of cups of tea. Like whenever I come home, I, whether my parents are here or not, it's unbelievable the amount of tea that I drink. No water, uh, only tea. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, acoustic change. Ooh, um, <laughs> welcome. So we're in the kitchen now. Um, yeah, every kind of break is filled with... Sponsored by uh, Sponsored by Clippers, Clippers Original. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I have. Uh, an EP by Minor, Headwaters. Oh, yeah. Like, tomorrow, the last track is from Becca's vocal rendition, you can tell, is just a really lovely track. But 
the whole the rest of the album is beautiful. I've all, I, I've been listening to my liked songs a lot. Yeah. Um, a couple of like sad boy favourites at the moment. You're a sad boy. Oh, um, is the Caroline Shaw version of Lay All Your Love On Me. Um, Hot Mess by Dodie. I'm sure that comes across really well on the podcast. Uh, Pancakes for Dinner by Lizzie McAlpine. And To The Bone by Sammy Copley. Yeah, been really enjoying... Being a sad boy, Sammy. Yeah, being a sad boy. <laughs> well, like being really in touch with my emotional side. You but know? only the sad ones. Oh, yeah, like, no happy emotions here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. it's been a joy to have you on the radio slash pod. Oh, cheers, mate. Because I own the whole radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The radio with a capital T. <laughs> And a couple of art. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, it's time to go. <laughs> Goodbye and Goodbye. see you the next second Monday of next month and also on the main feed. So in true chaotic style, I didn't know how long we'd been recording for and we still had 10 minutes more of our slot left. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to tell you a little bit more about how you can support the podcast and also future endeavours. Um, so we currently, well, we figured out recently that it costs about 13 grand for us to run the podcast, um, every year. Although to be fair, that was with one day, uh, of wages for me and Hattie. Um, so it's quite a lot of money, obviously. So we've been running a crowdfunder, which we'll link in our show notes, to help with costs. We have a lot of subscription costs and editing costs. Um, and we really do believe that having these conversations is making a change in the industry, however slowly, however uh, small those changes may feel. So we do feel that it's kind of vital to keep it going uh, to, without trying to toot our own horns. So we have our crowdfunder. We also have a Patreon that you can join for three pounds a month. Way, way. We have a monthly kind of off the record episode on there. We're also thinking about doing some monthly reflection slash journaling prompts. Um, we also have discounts for our upcoming merchandise for our patrons. It would mean a lot if you could join our community and also just means that our patrons are kind of paying for people that aren't able to pay to keep supporting the podcast. It's kind of a pay it forward system. We also have a buy me a coffee website if you feel like just doing a one-off small donation. Basically any of these are really really appreciated and we are always looking for sponsors to help us with ongoing costs if that sounds like something you'd like to be a part of or yeah, if we could create like a, a partnership going forward and you feel like maybe being a sponsor would be something you'd be interested in, just get in touch. In terms of future endeavours, I thought I'd do a little shout out because I am looking into doing a, an episode about beta blockers. I know that a lot of classical musicians use them and it's very under wraps. It's kept kind of swept under the carpet because people, well, for a host of different reasons, but I think people feel ashamed that they have to rely on something to perform. I think as artists, we're expected to experience all the crazy emotions, the highs and lows, and actually taking something that either numbs those uh, emotions or makes it a little bit more manageable. I think, yeah, people are ashamed of it. There's also a big problem that people don't necessarily get their own prescriptions for them and take other people's medication, which as a is a heart medication, you know, this is pretty dangerous stuff. So if you know anybody, if you are somebody that's taken beta blockers, that it would be really helpful if you feel like you'd be interested in being interviewed for the episode that we're going to produce. Um, yeah, I've taken beta blockers before. I actually was prescribed them for a bout of just general anxiety that I was feeling. And 
I thought, well, you know, I'm taking them anyway when I'm anxious and when am I more anxious than when I'm performing? So I tried it a few times and to be honest, they did help. I think partly because I was using it for the first time I used them was when I went up to Manchester for a professional orchestral gig and I was experiencing quite a lot of travel anxiety at the time. So it felt like it wasn't just the performance anxiety that I was worried about, it was just general social anxiety, travel anxiety, being away from home, not having my usual coping mechanisms um, available. So in that situation it, it did help but then I felt a very deep fear of becoming dependent on them. I think when you have experienced coping mechanisms from therapy or anything like that, that you know is a healthy coping mechanism, I, yeah, it's hard for me to separate out when something becomes a bit of a a crutch and when it's just a healthy coping mechanism. And I still don't know where the, the threshold is between them, but I knew that, you know, a chemical dependency would probably go under the heading of a crutch um so I haven't taken any since then I don't think although because of just having some recent like just well not recent all of my audition experiences have just been terrifying and really traumatic and I yeah definitely would consider taking them for future auditions just because I know that my performance anxiety is getting in the way of my progress as a musician, like career progress. And it really sucks to think that, um, yeah, anxiety in auditions mostly is really holding me back from performances that, well, yeah, like if I got onto the extras list for an orchestra, I know that in the actual performance, my anxiety would be a lot less than in uh, an audition situation so it feels like the audition is a a gate between me and actually performing well and I just can't get through that gate no matter how many times I try doing auditions it I guess it is getting better slightly but I still never play to a level where I'm happy and I know that part of that is just perfectionistic tendencies but I also still do get the shakes, I get dry mouth in most auditions that I do. Um, And I thought that other people had this all the time, but actually talking to the people that get through the first round or get to a trial situation in an audition, they don't have these experiences. Yes, they might not always play how they'd uh, really wanted to, but they don't get the extreme anxiety that I'm experiencing. So who knows? But yeah, that's my personal motivation for looking into beta blockers. Um, I think there was a documentary a while back that I have yet to check out that was recommended to me. But yeah, if you know anybody, it doesn't just have to be from classical music as well. Like this is widespread across all music. I mean, even if you're not music related I guess like any performers that take beta blockers for any type of performance I would be really really grateful um for you to get in touch uh it can be anonymous doesn't have to be um a direct recording in the episode could just be a quote anonymized but also would be great to hear some other people's voices on the episode other than mine I do worry sometimes that, you know, an hour of me talking basically is quite a lot, especially when I've got my hay fever, my little noz. More. <laughs> you can hear it going there. All right, I'm going to sign off now. Um, but thank you so much for listening. And I'll hand over back to Rebecca and Stuart in the garden to sign off. <laughs> This has been Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, your host, Rebecca Toll, and also my guest, guest, host, slash guest, Stuart Beard, and Jenny Freebie, Matty and Morag, the dogs. Cheers, mate. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.
Music was composed by Katie Ehrlich. Editing was done by me, Rebecca Toll. This has been an episode for Voices Radio. If you'd like to follow us on any of the social media, we are at TMDTA Podcast on all of them. And our email address is thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>